I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I create today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So physiologically, when we're holding on, what we're doing is we're not processing experiences. And those unprocessed experiences are lodged inside of us as stress. And what they start to do, whenever we don't fully feel an experience, they get accumulated in the physiology. And what they do is they occupy a lot of our neurological material, i.e. a lot of our brain, a lot of our nervous system, is actually occupied with managing those unprocessed experiences. And this means that we have less and less available neurological material to be present, um, to feel calm, to be creative. It can, we can have so much stress in our body by resisting I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the Podcast. These are honest conversations about true self-success with the people we follow and the teachers who help us on our way. I hope you find this episode valuable and if you need support aligning your profession to your true nature, your unique gifts and your passions, I'm here to help. Visit getoffline.co to find out more about Offline's personal and professional development opportunities or follow getoffline.co on social media. You can find me at Alison Larson Rice. Thank you for being here. If you've been listening to Offline since the beginning or at least since season two, you'll know about Bondi Meditation Center founder and Vedic meditation teacher, Matt Ringrose. He taught me this effortless meditation technique a few months after I launched my podcast in 2018, and it quite simply changed the direction and intention of my life, my work, and how I define success. Vedic meditation and the body of knowledge that complements it informs how I'm in the world. It informs how I love, how I parent, what I create and how I serve you. Its principles aren't just woven into the fabric of my being. They are my being. Matt was just the type of teacher I needed at a time in my life when things felt really hard and sad and anxious and serious i just left the big job and we'd also recently lost our first baby. And this practice, it saved me in many ways and that's probably something I should share more. It brought me back to myself. Fast forward three years and Matt remains a steady counsel in my life and he's also a friend. Not that he had much choice in the matter. We both received such a warm reception for our first episode And we've spoken for some time about recording again. We knew we'd know when the time was right. And the time is now. For this sit down, we spoke for two hours. So I'm publishing it over two episodes. So the next one will be live next week. 
and we covered a lot of really valuable ground, but the thread that weaves its way throughout it all is letting go. Matt spent close to a year developing a guided online course called Learn to Let Go, and just like Vedic meditation, it was a transformative learning experience for me. So we thought how wonderful to share it with all of you. Our invitation to study with Matt is sprinkled throughout both episodes, but if you miss anything, all of the information you need is detailed in the show notes. Okay, here's to letting go of our professional attachments and the definitions of success that don't serve our evolution. I'm calling it professional peace. He's the always expanding Matt Ringrose and I for Offline. This practice and this knowledge has completely changed my life. Noted. And I have you to thank for that because you came into my life in a time where I needed something. I just didn't know what I needed. Mm -hmm. And you introduced me to this practice and this knowledge. And I just truly don't know where I'd be without it, if I'm really honest with you. Mm. Yeah, I, I know what you mean exactly. And I had obviously the same experience. It's... A really genuine paradigm shift mm. when you do this meditation because everything changes, you know. How you respond to the world changes. What you value changes. Mm. What you want to do <laughs> changes. Obviously, how you feel changes. Um, and all for the better. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, totally. totally Even when it feels you. like it's not for the better. <laughs> yeah, that's Which well. we might talk a little bit about today. Mm. Um You've also started your own podcast, which I just wanted to give a little pluggy in there. Thank you. Called Very Vedic, which we actually worked on the first season together, I yes. think that was. Yeah, we did the whole first season together, yeah. And now you're in season three? three? Yeah. So that's a beautiful listen. And you've also created a really powerful course that I've studied called Letting Go, which is what we're going to talk about today. Sweet. Before we do that. Mm-hmm. I want to start by asking you about the last two years, I suppose. Mm. In what ways has the pandemic given you new opportunities, fresh ways to embody this knowledge? Yeah, so the first thing to say about it, and I really hope um, this is okay to say and doesn't, just, and doesn't sound smug, elitist or uncompassionate, is that I didn't really mind any of it too much. And again, without wishing to seem separatist or elitist, the people I know, most of the people I know who meditate regularly also didn't find it too difficult or traumatic. So why is that? The reason for that is one of the things that changes when we meditate is that we become more adaptable. And so we're not so interested in keeping everything the same. We're not so interested in, you know, holding on and resisting change at all costs. There's an appreciation of um, the fertile nature mm. of change and um, that challenges always bring the opportunity to do something new, to grow, to lift up. So um, for me, it was 
an opportunity to become, I definitely went into a bit of a hermit mode as we kind of had to, right? Mm. So it was like being invited into our caves, wasn't it? Mm. It was like we all had to be re- invited into reclusive practice. And so, you know, in a sense, we were getting a taste of, you know, a taste of prison, mm. a removal of some freedoms. This is karma from the Vedic view. You know, we're, we're getting uh, freedoms limited, and the best thing to do when we are in prison is to um, be the model prisoner. Mm. And being the model prisoner doesn't mean making a big song and dance about it, um, you know, banging our metal plate on our bars. <laughs> and uh, Feed me. Feed yes, me. <laughs> yeah, and kind of like being all about us and, um, and so on. Um, the model prisoner would find some way. So what would I do if I was in prison? I would teach people to meditate. I'd teach my cellmate to meditate. That's what I'd do personally. Mm. Maybe not the first day. I'd try and hopefully um, give him the impression that I was handling it okay because I meditated, lead by example, and then you know teach him to meditate. It would be my only chance, frankly. Because <laughs> if I didn't do that, I'd be in big trouble. Um, teach him and then you know, other people and uplift those and help other people find freedom behind bars, freedom within their karma, Mm. freedom um, within their limited experience. So this is what I set out to do for myself. Um, Kind of like, again, what does this meditation do? It allows us to be happy and fulfilled without having certain experiences Mm. that we think we might have wanted, without having the trip to Italy, you know, without having the income we wanted and various other other examples of variety, which would be quite nice. Mm. (laughs) Um, Yeah, because that doesn't mean we're not allowed to miss that stuff. You know what I mean? Like you still have that desire, but ultimately you're okay without it, yeah. Yeah, the desire's there, but it's not so distracting as to pull you out of a full experience of what you are doing. Mm. you know so it's an attachment that we're losing it's not preferences necessarily they'll still be there ready to be acted on when available Um, but any attachment to them will mean that we miss out on what we could be enjoying right now because there is always something so what there's been to enjoy in the pandemic and the limiting of obvious freedoms is an exploration of a more intrinsic freedom Mm. inside the more intrinsic freedom to find and enjoy fulfillment no matter what's happening Mm -hmm. the classic statement is even with this i can be happy even with this and that all might sound a bit goody goody but what's the alternative Mm. really the alternative is to say that things are wrong right but this is a funny idea when you think about it you know again you know i hope this is received in the spirit it's intended it's a little bit playful because you know i've experienced huge amounts of stress and huge amounts of resistance in my life at various phases but the whole idea of stress is kind of absurd Mm. on one level right so okay talking abstractly theoretically for a minute (laughs) we all know it's very real when it's happening but just just taking a moment to step outside and look in 
what is stress? Stress is literally a resistance to our lives. It's kind of humorous. It's like looking at life and saying, <laughs> my life shouldn't be happening. <laughs> Not like this. I mean, even before we go to the, the Vedic idea that we choose the exact things that are going to be happening in our life before we live the life, that's a whole Vedic thing. We choose the curriculum or the tests or the experiences we're going to have in this lifetime even before we come into it. But even forgetting that, this is what we're here to do. This is all we're here to do. So to constantly be saying or feeling that this shouldn't be happening, which is what stress is, is kind of funny mm. when you think about it from that angle. And that's the entire problem that causes all our suffering. Yeah. The entire problem that causes all our suffering in all our lives is this sense that, that what's happening shouldn't be happening. The, so the, that we're choosing to make it wrong. In every moment, yeah. yeah. I mean, you might say then, but it is bloody wrong. Mm. I mean, something awful happened to my child or, you know, um, things over the other side of the world are happening which somebody should stop and, you know, things are going from bad to worse on the planet. All those things are happening and there's no one saying that that shouldn't make you feel a spontaneous emotion and take some spontaneous and heartfelt action. Mm. but the place to start is not to resist it because on a deeper level nothing is ever actually going wrong mm -hmm. so trigger trigger alert <laughs> <laughs> nothing's ever actually going wrong on a deeper level um on a deeper level things are going against our expectations to force us to let go of attachments which are actually holding us back. And that's karma, that's for you and me, that's for the whole world. And that's what was happening in the pandemic. Mm. The pandemic um, was forced evolution for the planet or for everyone affected, which is almost everyone, right? Forced evolution. Karma isn't, from the Vedic view, like punishment. It's enforced evolution. It's way that we have experiences which become basically uncomfortable enough to force us eventually to let go of our attachments. So are you saying that this is nature going not fast enough, let's go? Like it's kind of nature going, this is taking longer than it should or you're all stuck in this point of suffering that you shouldn't be, so I'm just going to rip the rug out? I think nature's been pretty patient. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, there's basically what, what do we do as humans? We don't make progressive change, generally speaking, unless things go a bit wrong and we feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You know what it's like in our own lives. It can be ch chugging along quite nicely. It's only when, and you don't really do necessarily that much for your own personal growth. So, I mean, you know, shit hits the fan. Suddenly, you're doing yoga, you're doing your meditation, <laughs> self-help books. Everything comes in. It's mm. the destruction which brings in the growth. Yeah. It's things going wrong which motivates us as humans <laughs> to try and make ourselves feel better. So, Which is also so funny, really, when you say it. That. Yeah. It is all, this is it. It's all quite funny from a remove. That when you're right in it, obviously mm, it's not, not funny, funny at, at all. all. Yeah. But when you move out of it, you start to see it more and more, the more kind of, um, I guess, um, perspective you get, the more you observe the definite, repeating, observable patterns, the more funny it gets. 
Like, I'll give you an example. I've just got, like, I've, my other thing that I do is I mix house music and have done for a long time, for 30 years. And it's been relevant. <laughs> um, and I'm quite good, usually quite good at knowing. Like, when I first, when everything went really bad in my life, um, after my teacher training, the desire totally went. I wasn't allowed to do it by nature, let's say. The idea I'd hear house beat, feel sick, not interested. When I started feeling better, it was like I was allowed it again. I was allowed mm. house music again. And then what I noticed was over time, if I spent too much time on house music, the desire, the inspiration would just dry up and I'd be, as it were, guided into more dharmic or useful <laughs> pursuits. But it was kind of there and it was something I could enjoy. Um, and it's been good. And it has retained some relevance in relatability and meeting a whole different audience for meditation, all those kind of things. And then recently started doing a house music mix. And as my partner will tell you, it just absorbed me. I couldn't let go of it. It became an obsession, spending so much time on it, refining it, and kind of knowing, oh, I'm kind of wasting my time here. I've got podcasts I should be doing, these other things I should be doing that are more obviously useful. Released it yesterday. No one's listened. Mm. Like, usually, by now, quite a few hundred getting on for a thousand listens. No one's interested. What am I talking about? I'm talking about nature being quite funny. Mm. Like, he's going, all right, Matt, <laughs> I'll let you do it. Because you, you think you're going to get fulfilled from it, mm. don't you? You think you're going to get loved. If you give this out, everyone's going to love you. You're going to feel fulfillment. So it let me waste all that time knowing a little trick of its sleeve, put it out there, no love. So <laughs> what have I learned? You know, that cures you. That cures you because the motivation for doing it is love. Mm. Appreciation, acknowledgement, whatever you want to call it, but basically love. And it's redirecting me into do the, if I'd recorded the podcast, we'd have had 10 times as many listens in the first half an hour. But is the point that we don't, that we realise before we get into the time wasting or are you saying that sometimes it's relevant to actually go through the entire process to be reminded once again? The thing is, um, we can take a hint or we can wait for a punch in the face. <laughs> and I was getting lots of hints the whole way through. I wasn't getting supported, of na supported by nature. It wasn't flowing particularly brilliantly. It was taking far too long. And I just felt like this was just... Um, you know, an experience I needed to go through and order, in order, partly, for nature to deliver the punchline. Mm. And the punchline was pretty funny. Because this is the thing is, you being you, knowing what you know, practising what you practise, and you still, this is the beautiful thing of mm. somebody who's been doing this for 15 years and is so deep in this knowledge, but you still. You can have an awareness. It's like I was doing it with the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> right? I was doing it. I was aware that this wasn't the best. Well, I had a very strong hunch that this wasn't probably, you know, I, I had the, I was probably kidding myself still slightly, but I needed definitive proof. It has now been received <laughs> that a hundred hours could probably be better spent on knowledge and other things which are much more <laughs> enthusiastically received. It was just hilarious. The extremity of the, uh, of the demonstration by nature. <laughs> The first time I sat down to have an honest conversation with Matt, I was about eight weeks into my Vedic meditation journey. Three years later, I can see that was pretty ambitious, but I can also appreciate the relevancy. 
my role at that time, and it hasn't changed, was to inquire out loud on behalf of us all. So that episode covers some key Vedic principles, and it's a beautiful listen. But for this sit-down, we wanted to explore how this knowledge can help us as conscious professionals on our way. And even more specific than that, how letting go of our professional attachments to what we think we need to become, do, earn, or acquire is the throughway to stepping into the highest expression of us. I feel like we hear just let go or let it go a lot, but did you know there's an entire technique that actually helps us do that very thing? Matt spent a good portion of the first lockdown creating his course and it's inspired by Dr. David Hawkins and his popular book, Letting Go. In the book, a dense but very powerful read, Dr. Hawkins helps us to understand the body-based realities behind our biggest fears, anxieties, and all of the other lower-grade emotions that hold us back from enlightenment. The book is 400 pages, and what's interesting is he dedicated just three lines, albeit very potent and powerful lines, to his actual letting go technique. Matt was recommending the book to, I'm sure, hundreds of students who have been challenged with overcoming their fears and anxieties. I was one. And he kept getting the same feedback. I get the concept of letting go, but how do I actually do it? So his course is this wonderful build on the book. And what really landed for me while I was studying it is that letting go didn't happen in my mind. It happened in my body. And so I asked him to unpack that a bit. Does the intellect actually play a role here, or is this a true physical and emotional experience? It's all three. The intellect is involved. So there are three kind of threads that weave together throughout the course, three ingredients. And each of these ingredients is essential in letting go. And each ingredient affects the other. So think about it like, I don't know, flour, eggs, and water. Mm-hmm. Um, and together they make pasta. Do they make pasta? I think they do. <laughs> You're asking the wrong oh, gal. No. Anyway, um, think of those ingredients that bind together and work together. So the first ingredient is expanding consciousness. Expanding consciousness is what our meditation does. And there are some techniques also in the course which help us with this. When we expand consciousness, we start to experience fulfillment from inside. And when we experience fulfillment from inside, we're not so desperate to get fulfillment from the outside. Hmm. So this makes it easier to let go. All our holding on is ultimately caused by the fact that we feel like we need things to stay or become a certain way in order to be fulfilled. Hmm. But if we're producing fulfillment from inside then that will lessen that need, lessen that fear of losing the external fulfillment. Mm. When we expand our consciousness, it also provides us with the inner space in which to do the letting go, which mm. will make sense as we go through. Yes. The other reason we hold on and the other ingredient that we use an approach to help us to let go is that we believe things that are mistaken. We have mistaken beliefs. So a large part of the course, an important part, is taking those things we mistakenly believe, which cause us to hold on, and undoing those mistaken beliefs, correcting them. Because when we understand the truth, 
we'll find that there's actually no need to hold on mm. and that holding on will actually won't make us happier or more secure. So that's the second part. And that's really to do with the intellect. So you kind of mentioned the intellect, but that is very much an intellectual process. As we correct the intellect, it also expands our consciousness. You see how the two work together. Mm. And the third part is the part I think you were kind of touching on, which is a very important part. And it is central to letting go, which is to reframe fear as body sensations. Mm. This is what it is. So we think that fear is, you know, we attach a story to it. It's a fear of loss. It's a fear about not having this thing or this change occurring, um, losing something we value. And yes, those are proximate causes of the fear, which makes it hard to let go. But the ultimate cause of the fear, which is the best place, the root cause, which is the best place to work with it, is the body sensations that those things create in us. Mm. We could lose anything, but if we didn't have accompanying body sensations, we'll be able to handle that experience and move on. It's the body sensations which scare us off from moving into the process and thinking we can let go, maybe even getting started. We think about letting go, the body starts groaning, kind of hurting, showing us a preview of coming attractions if we do that, and we go, oh, we run a mile, we go, I'm not going there, thank you very much. That's going to hurt too much. So, yes, an important part of letting go is, as I say, just to repeat, is to reframe, is to reframe fear as body sensations. Mm. Because when we do that and we have the tools to process and work with those body sensations, which are very simple instructions once we're taught them, then ultimately we'll find we're not scared of anything. Mm. The only thing we have to deal with are body sensations and we have the tools to deal with those. Mm -hmm. You need your hand-holding mm. through this to kind of, or most people do, um, need some guidance into how to feel feelings. And this is the beauty of it because we've come up and been raised in this culture well, a lot of us anyway, maybe not younger generations now, that we shouldn't feel and that we hide our feelings, we suppress our feelings, everything's okay all the time. And so realizing that actually it's quite hard to feel, to really allow yourself to go there and then arriving there and going, oh my God, it's just literally a feeling inside my body. Mm. If I drop the story that accompanies the feeling. Yeah. It's really... Um, liberating in a way that you can't really describe it until you've experienced it. Yeah, I remember the moment when I had my biggest, um, I suppose my biggest fear, my biggest conf life confrontation, which is when my wife left me. And those feelings came up in such a surge, I recognized them immediately to be the precursor of a couple of years of mental health issues coming. And I was like, oh, here we go, breakdown, which I had experienced previously. So I knew what I was talking about, th feeling. Um, it was in that moment that I remembered the letting go technique and managed to apply it. It's pretty amazing that you remembered that in that moment. Oh, yeah. This From is three lines. Lucky moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I was sitting on a boat um, traveling back from Gilly Tea to Bali mainland when I, I remember, I can see it's clear as day. Um, I just realized, oh, because the body sensations were so massive oh, I can't that in even a imagine. way, it was easy to identify them. Just like a death, that one. You know yeah, what I mean? It was just a swirl of very powerful chemistry. 
That's what it felt like, you know, kind of felt all levels of horribleness. Um, but because it was so big, I could quite easily get in touch with it. And I realized this is what I need to feel. So what's happening in those moments um, when we're ch challenged or invited to let go is that it's not just the thing which just happened that you're letting go of. Each time you get triggered like that, it's triggering all the related stresses, anything thematic, anything mm. similar in your past. Imagine a load of fish hooks going down into it's you. It's like a build. Yeah. And the fish hooks go down and they all grab onto one of the similar things from your past. And in this case, it was such a, you know, existential fear or fundamental, you know, insecurity, I guess, that the mother load was triggered. And up it all came. And as I was sitting on the boat, I just realized it was it became very much like a game where um, I could, I was, if I resisted it, then the feelings and the, the feelings immediately triggered thoughts, which led me to despair. But when I came back to the actual feeling in the body and allowed that, it was absolutely fascinating what happened. Because as soon as I stopped resisting it and started embracing it and accepting the healing, essentially, is what I was doing, then those feelings immediately became compelling. They were still horrible, but kind of like different. Not horrible. It's like when you, I suppose it's like when you're exercising and you're pushing yourself and you kind of you're having an awful time, and then you kind of make a slight mental shift, and you're like, "It's okay, we're doing this, we're doing this." And so it still feels hard, but there's a sense of something good happening. Mm. I had that, and then I realised, to my astonishment, that when I really fully allowed it, which happened every now and then, when I moved into, you know, spontaneously moved into this deep, deep surrender, it became a pleasant feeling. It was like I kind of imagine a laser beam, like a video game. It kind of it goes, goes out right to the side. You start really hurting. And then as it comes back in the middle, and if you lock in, a bit like, you know, um, Luke Skywalker in the first Star Wars, when you shoot down the thing into the Death Star. Do you know that? No. Okay. I was even going to say with the working outs, I can't Okay, let's, let's stick to the, the laser beam thing. It's good. When it kind of comes into the middle, it like locks in for a minute and everything's totally healing and totally fine. Mm. And the way you access that, or the way I accessed that, was by totally allowing the body chemistry to burn through me as it mm. was and then kind of welcoming it in bringing it on come on, bring it on and so I did that for on and off for about two days the next day um I woke up you know my marriage was still over and I woke up oh, I, I was depressed I had all the symptoms of you know at least circumstantial depression didn't want to get out of bed so on next day the same but I carried on doing this letting go thing I'd have to go and hide in the toilet and things to so that the kids wouldn't see me. And then um, the third morning I woke up with a sense of lightness and a sense that just everything was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. That just increased through that day. Weirdly, I found my attraction, which had never, ever wavered from my ex-wife, was just going. Mm -hmm. And the next 18 months, frankly, were the best of my life. And I don't mean just because I went around doing what you're thinking. <laughs> there, was no, there were no women involved. It was um, simply a feeling of freedom, total freedom. I'd released and healed the mother load of fear inside of me. and Which was that you weren't good enough and you'd be left. I wasn't good enough. Um, Sally, I think the key thing was that Sally was essential for my happiness mm. and that my happiness was dependent We've on the relationship. We've had so many stories about this with Tony, haven't we? This was my early stuff. 
Mm. when I learned to meditate was just this fear around something happening to him because if something happened to him, then I would die. Yes. And that was my big chunky one. Yeah. And that's the idea that this person Mm. is your mechanism for fulfillment, basically, without wishing to sound too mercenary, because obviously we care about Tony dying as well. Mm. But that's ultimately what it is, that you think that they're your mechanism for fulfillment and safety and happiness and security and all those things remove that thing, all the scaffolding collapses and you're in free fall. And this is the pure fear I felt at that moment. But, you know, that fear is actually... Not real. ...can be used. No, it's not real. It can be used, as I was fortunate in my case, to use it as an entry point to fully unlocking and untapping the inner fulfilment that you were resisting Mm, and not realising was there. So we can directly relate this to um, profession and success and career Mm -hmm. because our um, fundamental fear around losing that person that ultimately makes us happy, some people don't have that. They have that towards work. Mm. Yeah. That if they don't become this thing or succeed in this way, that somehow then everything's going to fall apart. And, like, you know, when people get made redundant or the business closes or there's some massive thing that happens, then all of a sudden they lose relevancy and yeah. in the loss of the relevancy they lose themselves because they're so tied up in this idea of I am this person because I'm called this and I earn this and I succeed this way. Yeah. I feel like that's the parallel, isn't it? Because for mm. some people it's not a personal love. Yeah. For some people it is work. So this is two sides of the same coin and you're exactly right. It's, they're both a spiritual issue, ultimately. And they're both to do with experiencing what we actually are. So in the case of um, the partner leaving you and the fear of not being fulfilled, that's because you have yet to fully realise, let's say, that your deepest inner self is fulfilment. Mm. And this person is just one way that you can touch on that place and experience it. They're the means by which, or they're the code, which presses certain buttons in you and allow you to access that place. But they're not the place. Mm. They're not the love. And That's so big. People need to listen to that again. It's so short, but it's so big. Yeah, don't ask me to say it again. No, 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 and you won't be able to, but just it's so big. So, but the simple, the good news, is the simple answer to that is meditate, basically. Meditation, you know, you can think all you want and think, oh, I've got to get in touch with the inner place. No amount of thinking is going to get you there. You need to experience it regularly enough through a powerful meditation practice. You dip into that place that's your deepest self, your deepest self, which is that pure fulfillment, enough that it infuses you totally until eventually you experience yourself as that. Mm. And then you're in a relationship but you're not in any way seeking fulfillment from the relationship. Which can be very scary for the other person. Hopefully, if no, it, it can be, absolutely, mm-hmm. and you need to be um, gentle and kind and compassionate if they're totally unaware and totally reliant on the relationship themselves for fulfillment. But the ideal is that you're both meditating and you both come to the relationship not looking for fulfillment anymore, but enjoying it as a place to explore and share your fulfillment with each other. Mm. And then that honeymoon period can last forever. Mm. See what I mean? So, and then you drew this parallel with work, which is a very clever parallel. Um, Because this is also about a misunderstanding of what we really are. Mm. But it's more around the identity itself. 
So the reason why that could be so shattering is because we've been told over our lives and we've experienced that our value is directly related and our identity is directly re related to what we achieve at work. And that's all come into us through our ears, into our past, our intellect and into our inner core, which I think we talk about this in the first mm, episode. Yeah. Um, our inner core into our ego and our ego is basically a, a receptive area which accumulates ideas about what we are so we get it in through the ears we hear we're good people say you did really well at school you did really well at work you achieved you got some money this is our identity starts to be built around this it's all externally referenced mm. um and the problem with that is you're in the status game yeah um, the status game is always changing, it's always fluctuating, it's always evolving in relation to your own experiences and the experiences of everyone else in the world. Mm. It's not in your control. And frankly, nature, with a click of its fingers, could totally bring that house of cards down. Let's just say, like a friend of mine, who I won't mention his name, but you won't mind me using him as an example, had a pretty decent um, travel empire at the start of pandemic and now has no travel empire. Wow. So that's been a processing and an adjustment for him. Um, so what's the answer? The answer's the same again. <laughs> Funnily enough, meditation teacher says the answer to everything is meditate. But it is, because in, certainly in these two cases, mm. um, if you meditate, then you are turning your ego. So that what happens with our technique <clears throat> is that the mantra comes in the ears, we hear it from our teacher, we think it in our mind, it actually passes by the intellect. The intellect has nothing to do with it because it has no meaning. And then it passes the ego itself, the ego, which is our idea of ourself. And as it passes the ego, the ego flips inside and for the first time references its identity internally. Mm. And that internal place is being. Being has, being is your infinite possibility, pure fulfillment, pure love, pure wisdom it has no insecurity um, and so the more you start to experience yourself as that the less you'll rely on anything unchanging mm. to define you as what you are or for that matter anything that happens externally so back to letting go when we're not letting go we're holding on mm -hmm. but what is the impact of holding on like what what is actually happening happening when we hold on? Okay, so with all these questions, we can answer them on a number of different levels. Let's start physiologically. So physiologically, when we're holding on, what we're doing is we're not processing experiences. And those unprocessed experiences are lodged inside of us as stress. And what they start to do, whenever we don't fully feel an experience they get accumulated in the physiology. And what they do is they occupy a lot of our neurological material, i.e. a lot of our brain, a lot of our nervous system is actually occupied with managing those unprocessed experiences. Mm. And this means that we have less and less available neurological material to be present, um, to feel calm, to be creative. It can, we can have so much stress in our body by resisting. So holding on is resisting. Mm, same which thing. Means, yeah. 
which means we're not processing experiences. Um, and we can have so we can end up with so much stress, so much unprocessed emotion that we can barely walk down the street. We can't have any present moment awareness at all. Mm. So physiologically, uh, we make ourselves more tired and less efficient as a nervous system. Um, and this causes us to, you know, be more distracted, more impatient, more reactive, less connected um, and loving. So that's what it causes on the physiological level. Um, on a more spiritual or evolutionary level, what we're doing is we're holding back evolution. We're mm. straining evolution. So evolution is all that's ever happening. And when we try to resist change, even though it should be happening, we might even have, a, we might have some idea that it should be happening, or we might have absolutely no idea that it should be happening. But when we're holding back change, it causes this kind of buildup of pressure. Mm. Um, and what that buildup of pressure does is it starts to make us feel less happy. Uh, abundance dries up. Um, there's a bit more friction coming in. So an analogy we could use is it's like a friction burn. Mm. The, hold, the tighter you hold onto the rope, when it is eventually pulled from your grip, which it will be, the more of a friction burn you're going to get. Um, and so the, the outcome of it ultimately is we don't live our potential. Mm. We don't explore the new opportunities, the new evolutionary opportunities which are being offered to us because we're so convinced that we should be holding on to what is actually here now. Mm. And the problem with this is that, you know, this is kind of hardwired into us because as humans, <clears throat> well, let's start with the world. The world, the one guarantee, the one certainty in the world is change. Everything's always evolving. Everything's always changing. And yet as humans, <clears throat> we have a very natural sort of seems hardwired tendency to want things to last forever, mm. particularly when we value them. We are not good at accepting that the value of something could be temporary. So for example, being a house music DJ, that can have a relevance, maybe a strong relevance for a certain period of time. But after a period of time, it's no longer relevant mm. and things orchestrate themselves in order to make that less desirable. Because mm. this is how I think about this. Like if I think about my coaching clients, the um, space I've recently built, a lot of the conversations that we're having are around ultimately wanting to evolve professionally, mm. but feeling as though we have to make use of the study that we've done, that we have to make use of our professional experience, mm -hmm. that in order to go forward, that means we're going to have to go to the side or back. It's just this constant thinking, 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 but then never actually really taking action for the fear of if we do that somehow it's going to be the wrong decision, but ultimately that's all we're being asked to do is to jump. Yeah. But then we stay in the suffering of not jumping, but wanting to jump. And it's just this intense cycle. But I do find it quite challenging as a career coach to give people the courage and the conviction to move mm. in the direction of evolution yeah, sometimes we can ask them too much, though. Sometimes we can ask them to jump off the cliff, and that might ultimately be a, um, a progressive action, mm. <laughs> but it could be too scary so they never do it or get too scared and give up, something like that. So 
I'm sure you'll have discussed this with your clients, but you know, a lot of it comes down to we've got this thing that's very um, coming very to the fore at the moment that we should enjoy and find fulfillment in our job. And this is good. This is moving in the right direction. But there's a bit more nuance to it than that. Because the fact is, um, not everyone will be able to make money out of their passion. And this is the realest thing, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. this is it. But it doesn't have to be black and white, right? So let's just, let's define our terms here. Let's say we've got our dharma, which means our purpose, or the thing which we're here to do, which makes best use of our skills and fulfills us most, brings our greatest contribution to the world. There you go. That's on one side. That's good. But then we've also got our financial reality. (laughs) Yeah, because this is where we need to really get clear. Dharma. Dharma has little to no link to profession? In its essence, no. Yeah. In its essence, no. It's very nice and optimal and ideal if they can overlap or even become one and the same. Like, you know, again, hate sound a little bit smug saying it, but meditation teacher, Mm. I've got both those things happening at once. I feel for myself. And you have. Yeah. That's good. So we're, we're in a position where we've moved through that. But there are lots of people I know who, even meditation teachers, for example, that still need a funding mechanism in order to fund their dharma. So they need to pay their rent, pay their bills, and so on. And there's another job they do, which isn't something they feel passionate about. Hopefully it's something they can tolerate. Um, But they need to do that in order to give themselves the freedom and fund their dharma. So, so they, these yeah. are really the decisions we need to make for ourselves. So I want to get clear on this. I feel mm. like this is the topic I'm talking about all the time. Yeah. It's deciding or it's understanding mm-hmm. whether there is the overlap for you in this lifetime mm-hmm. or accepting that there's not mm-hmm. and accepting that your funding may come from a place that you're not passionate about but you can tolerate. Yeah. and Do you think that's a choice? I think so, yeah. And I think it's also an exploration because it can be in degrees. So all of this will come um, from a feeling. It won't be so much an intellectual idea as a feeling. You'll be at work, and many people, I'm sure many listeners will have gone through this, where the work may have been okay for a while, may not, but certainly at some point it's like, this isn't fulfilling. This doesn't align with my values. This isn't what I want to do. And at that case, but you might be very good at it. It might be kind of okay in certain ways, but, you know, you can just about put up with it, but it's not satisfying you. This is showing always that we need to explore creation. We need to explore creativity. This is a sign of destruction coming in on some level, and it means something needs to be done differently. Now, this could mean that you start exploring something new that you're more passionate about outside of your work hours. It might mean that you take a few hours off each week to explore that thing. Yeah, it's not always taking the leap. It's about understanding our individual pace. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I think our individual appetite for evolution until we feel that full body yes to say ready. And I'm out versus the jump before you're ready, then it almost brings on a level of destruction anyway. Absolutely. And another thing we can do with the creation, which is essential, is bring a different approach, a creative approach to what we are doing. Mm. Because, you know, professional peace 
is absolutely dependent on recognizing, acknowledging, accepting the relevance of what we're doing, yes. whatever we're doing. So if we're doing our funding mechanism, we can feel grateful, at peace with that, understanding its role in the overall picture. But our overall picture is holistically satisfying mm -hmm. because we know we're honoring the itch we want to scratch creatively. Um, but we also recognize that we're quite good at this job and it serves a purpose. It's like me. I, I, um, I owned wine call centers selling wine mm. and I kind of had a moment of moral crisis about that at some point. In fact, there's a few things I've done I've had moral crisis about, but I look back now and I can totally understand its relevance in getting me in a position where I could yes. dedicate my life to teaching, you see. So, yeah. I'm really glad we covered this because I feel like it's this kind of sticky question that's danced around a lot hmm. and being able to give people a lot of clarity on that. And do you think on some level though, with hmm. all of that said, that we can ultimately find a way for our dharma to be funded? Like really when you get down to it, everything monetizes at a point. It depends what's relevant for you in this lifetime. Mm. I know that's a bit of an mm. easy opt-out question, but there are different types of karma. So, and this is good to understand. Um, so there is karma that where we say the arrow has flown meaning that there's not much we can influence in that particular area in this lifetime. How do we know? Because you may have tried hard, but it's not being supported by nature in mm -hmm. some way. Or the inspiration isn't coming in this context for a business-making thing. Um, we don't want to appear defeatist, but it's good to also have, if we're talking about letting go and being accepting, it's also important to understand you know, the, I suppose the parameters of possibility in a particular lifetime. Ultimately, we're interacting with a field of all possibilities. Everything is possible dependent on our state of consciousness. Mm. But our state of consciousness differs from lifetime to lifetime. So anyway, that's the, that's the karma where we can't do anything about it. But then there's karma that we can influence. It will take some effort, some persistence, um, some diligence, but it's possible to change that. And then there's another type of karma where it's very easy to change that karma. Mm. And we just need to have the intention and then we can do that. So you see what I mean? Yeah. So in order to answer, that's the best way that I can answer that question rather than going, yes, of course you can, yeah. you can do anything you want to if you set your mind at it. That's true. Mm. But what we um, can achieve, what we can, we're talking about manifestation in a sense. Mm. Um, so what we manifest all depends on what we expect. Yes. Right? And what we expect depends on our beliefs. And our beliefs form automatically to a part out of our state of consciousness. Mm. So can you see how that yeah. works? So you move into a higher state of consciousness. You're having different experiences of life. And those different experiences of life create in you different beliefs yeah. based on the experience. Therefore, you have different expectations and you have a different experience mm. of life. So, yeah, the Vedic view is that we all totally create our own unique universes based on our state of consciousness, our belief, and the expectations that come out of that. Mm. So this is also good to know because just knowing it can give you more freedom to experience a bigger possibility. 
juicy. We've already covered a lot of ground here. Matt's view on the role the pandemic has played in our evolution, the fundamentals of letting go, why we hold on and what happens when we do, the throughway to understanding if our dharma is our profession in this lifetime or not, how to be grateful for our funding mechanisms, if it isn't karmically relevant for our dharma to also be our funding. That's a lot. And let's not forget the big one, why having a regular meditation practice is essential to us making contact with the truth of what we are. The fulfillment we seek through external means and reference points, it exists inside of us. So it's time to integrate. Let's let what we're learning land in our bodies, allow its space to play out in our lives. Next week, we'll be back with part two and also an invitation to join Matt in learning how to let go. Enrollments to his six-week guided online course open on March 1, 2022, and he teaches this course a few times a year. Matt is kindly offering offline listeners a 10% discount, so if you beat me to it, please use the code OFFLINE10 at checkout. All of the info you need, including the enrollment link, is available in this episode's show notes. And I want to be fully transparent with you and share that if you invest in your evolution through studying with Matt, you're also investing in me and helping to fund this work. Offline receives a small commission on every student that uses the code. Okay, see you next week for part two. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to find out more about my personal and professional development opportunities. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to Offline, please share it with them.